You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni, who is in Yerushalayim, Irakadish. I'm Aprom Kivalevich. Uh, Dr. Juni, um, you're a psychologist, a parent, a, a student, and a teacher, student of human nature, a teacher of, uh, of many students and many young men and women. Um, so your experience is vast. Uh, and I want to get your input on, on a topic that many have called somewhat of a, uh, a social problem that has begun in the last five or ten years. And that is that children are not leaving the nest. Uh, and what's happening is because of uh, economic reasons uh, that don't offer options for many of these teenagers and uh, young adults, and also the, the, what's happening in terms of late marriages, uh, children who are deciding that they're going to sort of save money, um, wait and marry late, What's happening is is that children are actually staying home. They're finding a place in their parents' basement or in their old in their old bedroom, and there's more uh, of de- more dependence going on. And I think that uh, I haven't seen studies about this. Perhaps you have that, especially during the, the Corona lockdowns that have occurred. It's, it's it's exacerbated a lot of these relationships, which were probably difficult to start out with. Um, you know, we always say, what's, what's he doing 35 years old, still living at home? Um, but we know that that is occurring. We know that uh, children and parents, uh, even before the parents become unable to care for their children or to be able to care for themselves, during that period of, 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 of a sort of adult children and parents, there has been a lot of stress and difficulty that has that is that is that is occurring between them and in some ways uh they're still working out the issues of disciplining the issues of how to uh guide your children and i know that uh you have uh, quite a bit to say about this and it's sort of come i think to a head it's come to a point that there's the the frustration levels um, are perhaps stronger than they were in the past uh, because of the proximity, because of uh, what's occurring. Um, so why don't you start us off here with some of your ideas, and then maybe perhaps we can shift a little bit and talk about uh, the opinions of our rabbis, the opinions of, of the Talmud. But why don't you start us off, and then uh, we'll interact later a little bit about the standard take that the rabbis have had. Okay. Thank you for having me here again. Let's start. Okay, let's start. I'm not a rabbi, but we'll start with a pasuk at the very beginning of Bereshus when God introduces Chava to Adam. God says, how can Yazav ish as oviv as imo, that it's the way of man to leave his father and mother and then to go off and to live with the wife. Okay, so there's a essentially a mission statement there 
which is the basis of developmental psychology, that people are destined, in the holy sense to begin with, they're destined to leave their home, to leave their parents, and establish a place of their own. The corollary to that in psychology is that you're destined to leave the identity or the self-identification of yourself as part of your parents and to develop your own identity. So that's seen usually as psychological and um, even social maturity. You're becoming a person of your own and not just being part of the unit which is not of your making. Because supposedly your marital unit or where you go off to live is of your own making. Nowadays, of course, we would extend that to say that as soon as you become a quote-unquote adult, we understand that it makes sense for most people to go off and live on their own and stop being part of the original family unit. Okay, so that is, first of all, a value, and that value is not necessarily shared by very um, traditional societies. And I know, of course, the religious Jewish society. I know the Arab society. I'm very aware, aware of the Christian uh, I mean, sorry, Catholic Spanish society, where it's expected that you really remain part of the insular family for a long time. In fact, in certain cases, you remain part of the insular family forever. So I would say in some cultures, there is no positive value to differentiating yourself from your parents or from your family. But I'm talking Western, and basically I'm talking about the society that I know very well from my personal dealings and my professional dealings. So let's assume that as a given, that we're dealing with um, uh, people who want to raise their kids eventually to be people of their own, with their own perspectives, rather than being clones of themselves or clones of the larger community which they belong to. Okay, so we're starting with that. To that extent, part of the differentiation that occurs psychologically has negativity attached to it. I'm talking from the child's perspective. A child reaches a point where they have, well, in our culture, first of all, the typical adolescent rebellion. The adolescent rebellion, which is healthy, basically says, look, this is what you say, but I'm different. And in some cases, they assume that they're smarter or they're more moral or more just or less mired in these petty kinds of interests and more in social interests, no matter what the formula is, you start differentiating. With that negativity, inevitably, there will be a psychological neg- negativity, which if you want to translate into nuts and bolts, could be translated as resentment, anger, devaluation, coming from the child towards the parent. Okay? And that's where some of the issues come in. What is the appropriate parent parental reaction towards that kind of rebellion and towards that kind of disrespect and towards that kind of differentiation. And it can take many forms. The traditional way of dealing with this, since it, sometimes adolescent rebellion used to involve antisocial behavior, sorry, antisocial behaviors, or in certain uh, more traditional cases, anti organized religious behaviors. So the idea is you have to stop this child. And the typical way to stop it is to beat them up. Okay, so that's the idea of corporal punishment of parents towards children. And it's sanctioned in the holy books, as I'm sure you know, and I'm sure that you'll inform us about that. Um, The 
Let me just stop you just for yeah. a second here. And because and, 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 you mentioned before uh, the idea of, uh, of what was the family unit. If it's true from what we've seen in uh, the Talmud and other sources, before we get to uh, corporal punishment, um, that marriages were encouraged to happen at a young age, which we know was true uh, in Europe and in other places throughout the Middle Ages, especially when it came to young girls. But it seems from the, from our sources that young men and women were getting married quite young. Um, in, uh, and, and, and therefore, where did the rebellion, like the, it sounds like when the rebellion started, they were almost being shipped off to start their own families anyway, correct? Yes. So, yes, yes. so when, when would you have that period where, you know, you're, you're getting frustrated and there's frustration going back and forth? Weren't you in that same period trying to shunt your child out or finding the new life for them? Uh, right? right. I'm not sure who was trying to do this. You're almost putting it that it was the parents I did to shunt them out. I think it was more a cultural uh, practice to do yes. that. I am not addressing myself to situations where um, children, so to speak, were married off while the parents considered them to be children. Now, there were cases where children would be married off early because at that point there was no concept of childhood beyond puberty. Once you hit puberty, you weren't considered a child and nobody expected you to really be under the tutelage of anyone because you were ready to be part of a minion or whatever the criteria were. You were ready to go out and kill people with guns in an army. But I'm talking about the um, period in history where children were children until, say, 16, 17, 18. So we have a, a period, really, where they're capable to function physically but they're considered yet not emotionally independent, not mature, yeah. not the good judgment yet. Yeah, I'm not so sure exactly, you know, from, from what I've read, and it might have changed, uh, you know, in, in certain circles, maybe in Italy it was different than it was in other areas in Europe. But we know that in Eastern Europe, as late as the, uh, the mid-19th century, uh, 13-year-old boys were woken up and said, you know, Lievenblum in his, in his biography says, one day when he was 13 years old or 12 and a half, his mother woke him up and says, Mazel tov, you're a chosen today. And within a year, within a year, he was already, now was he living at home or not? But it, 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 there definitely was in, 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 the peop, in the traditions that we both come from, a sense that you were in this in-between state. Uh, yes, you, uh, but I just want to tell you, you're schlepping me into a an area which may in fact be part of my heritage, but I have no knowledge about and definitely don't identify with it. My scope of the world starts in the 1900s or even the mid-1900s, right, okay? Right. But, but that's all I'm limiting myself to. Okay. I have no, no expertise of how one should raise their child in 16th century Warsaw. I have no opinion. Right, I was actually I talking about 19th century, but my, my, my sure. point is, my point is, is that I think what happens in the beginning of the 20th century, uh, or to, the period that you were zeroing in on, is that you sort of have, hmm, 30, 40 years ago, this kid wasn't even in the house. Now he's here. Um, sure. And, and, yes. and then what you also have, uh, and I don't want to steal your thunder, what you also have is an, an incredible exposure. Uh, it isn't just, I'm growing up, and now I see the same uh, drab world that my parents saw. I'm actually seeing a world that that displayed itself 
in colors that were very different and in options and opportunities that were different. So despite, uh, you know, added in the, especially in the, in the, in the 18th and 19th century, especially added to the fact that kids grew up and they thought their parents were, were fools and didn't know anything. They also had a world that was vastly different than what their parents knew. And, yes. they, and they were able to point to that world and say, of course, you don't know what you're talking about. You come with a world without telephones, without electricity. You don't even know what's going on. This is a new planet. They treat people differently. So oh, you, or I grew up, you don't even speak English. That was right. our major tool. Right. So, so, that, so the, yeah. all those factors really add to what you yes. call the, the, the rebellion, as opposed to right. just trying to find yourself. It becomes Correct. a rebellion because it isn't just don't tell me what I need to do. Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me I, I, I reject your values completely. And then I, I think we have this idea of teenage rebellion. Anyway, I'm just, just, just giving sure, it a Sure, but let me just say that I don't put as much weight on the sociological factors than on the psychological factors, which, which you might guess from my profession. In other words, sure. I think that the sociological factors are basically um, taken as adjuncts in the basic battle of differentiation from parents. But what I'm saying is that, first of all, it's destined, and I say it not religiously, but developmentally. But second of all, that um, there is no question that people these days try to come up with their own developmental sense of self, and that is totally predicated on distinguishing themselves from their parents. And what I'm further adding is that not only will it be ideological or philosophical or perhaps intellectual or in terms of moral, so to speak, but it actually translates into a resentment and into a differential which is uh, colored by strife. Furthermore, I want to say that without that strife, it doesn't happen. Because if you don't have enmity, then it's easy enough to just keep doing what they're doing. And why am I different than them? I have no problem with them. But if I have empathy, then I have a problem with them. But the most salient point here is that it's a sine qua non. You have to have it in order to become an independent person. And that's a harsh statement, which means essentially that no matter how nice and how compliant and how forthcoming a parent might be and facilitating, you still will end up either with a child who doesn't move away from under your apron and is basically not the person you want him or her to be, or is going to be someone who will have some anger towards you. And I want to express it in a very bold formulation, which is Freud's formulation, which says, you are never a man until your father is dead. Okay, and that has some profound implications. And it basically says that until you've managed to dethrone your father, so to speak, until you've managed to come up with a system which is other than what you've been taught, it, obviously within certain parameters, you aren't your other person at all. But why, why does it have to be? Why does yeah. that have to have enmity, though? You know, uh, there, there's there 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 can clearly be sort of like a a calm recognition that that your parents are different, that you have different strengths. Uh, you would expect even uh, a 15-year-old to be able to observe and say, you know, in many ways, this person is, is different and short-sighted, but they have positives. You you seem to feel that there's this actual Freudian feeling of 
of, of, of hatred, right? Of a sense of a complete disavowalment where it becomes emotional and very, very personal. And, and, and that I think is going to sound pretty strange. Uh, I, we know we've heard this before. We know, you know, in it, where, where, you know, whether it's the Oedipal complex or other things like that. Precisely. Yes. So we know we've heard these things. They become part of popular culture. But uh, are, are you still holding on to it, uh, Doctor J? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You still feel I'm, that it's hatred. So me, yeah. So let me put it this way: I am not holding on to the Oedipal conflict as such, other than using it as a metaphor. But basically, this is reminiscent. We had a conversation once about um, kids who are quote off the derech. And I had uh, made a, uh, a controversial assertion, which is that the people I meet who rebel rarely, if ever, rebel for philosophical or for logical um, uh, considerations, that it's always emotional. So the main point that I'm making is that with my dealing with many people who have had trouble with leaving the fold, leaving their social identity from or transitioning from one to the other, The impetus is almost always emotional. In other words, the prime mover for how we decide who we are, what we want to do, is not philosophical. And I understand that doesn't run well with people who see themselves, such as yourself, as religious philosophers or as um, guides of proper thinking. It basically is emotional. So yes, I'm discounting all these so-called lofty or second-order considerations that people may have in terms of choosing their path in life, their career, their social, their moral values. And I'm saying that it all comes from emotional reasons. And that is debatable. You don't have to agree with me. There's a whole fold within psychology which has to do with cognitive behaviorism that would say that I'm talking hooey. I don't think I'm talking hooey. And I want to push my point, which basically says that at least from an interactional point of view, you can never avoid your kids being angry at you and your kids being upset at you. I would hope that they end up getting upset about things that are not personal in nature, but just about a reevaluation or reconsideration of your values, of your way of thinking, of your sophistication. It is terrible when they are upset with you because of some personal travesties that you may have um, you know, brought upon them. And that's where I think of corporal punishment. And that's where I think of abusing kids um, um, psychologically, which essentially means that you have your own frustrations with life and you let it out on your kids by shouting, yelling, demeaning, or devaluing them. But that's, that's but, my overall... But, 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 but even, even if you have, you know, uh, Frank Zappa Moonbeam as your parent, and everything is, you know, you're cool on the commune, there's still going to be uh, uh, the enmity, according to your theory, that's going yes. to develop. And even if your 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 parents are as cool as the, as the coolest hippies, like I said, and, and let yes. the kids do anything, the the, the, the the child, according it's unavoidable. to developmentally unavoidable, unless the child does not develop. Again, with the exception, if you are in a close society and you're expected merely to just get bigger, grow a beard, and grow a strimal, and grow fifteen kids, but basically remain. Hey, wait, 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 second. If this is part of the, is you say that you discount sociology and that you're in a bigger field in sociology, and I and I mm-hmm. I respect that because I don't know your field, although I did teach sociology for a couple of years. But my my point is is that um, it's gonna according to you, it's gonna happen. 
and it'll happen and it'll happen across the board. Um, it, no matter, in, in no matter, no matter what societies where differentiation is condoned and you have the option of leaving that social circle. But if you are programmed to become somebody of yourself, now you're not just going to teach in your father's yeshiva or work in his barber shop and do exactly what he does and eat exactly what he eats and enjoy the jokes that he enjoys. But if you plan to do something else, you're going to have to differentiate. So to understand, I'm going to push that back here. Come- Price of empathy. Is it from the psyche or is it from the environment? It's, it's a combination. From the psyche. It, no, it's no, totally not from the environment. It's pre-programmed in the psyche, but it's part of differentiation. So if you're not going to differentiate, you'll never get there. There's no reason to be have any enmity when you're not going to have anything that differentiates you from your point of origin. Right, so, so, but, accor- so according to you, that society you, you talked about it before the. Um, which we have in, in, in the Latin American societies that you were talking yes. about. Uh, according to you, those are actually deadening uh, the human being for potential. You are, yes, uh, you, despite you know your kind words about how much you like them and appreciate them, you pr- you pretty much are thinking that many of them are not going to develop into the human beings they need to develop to. And you know, right. Sam Juni would say, Sam Juni would ring the fire alarm and say. You know, stop this because you're ruining your kids because your kids are not going to be frustrated adults. Only because I have a social value which says that self-development is a positive value. For some, self-development is not a positive value. The positive value is to keep things as steady as they are because they come from an origin which is of a much more transcendent um, location. So if you think of that, sure. If you think of people developing and being independent as a positive value, then yes, this is going to happen as a function of their development. So again, what I call stilted, other people would say brazen irresponsibility of having people lose all confines of tradition and then going off and doing things differently. Uh, Yes, this is the value. Well, let's just, I just want to say two things on this. Uh, you know, you, you of course know the, the Mishnah Pirkei Avot, uh, Ethics of the Fathers, that says, right? That, um, and the simple shot, I think the way the Bartonur explains it means that, um, you got to go, so you, you're, you're on the move because things are difficult where you are. Make sure the place that you go is a place of Torah, despite the fact that it might have, it might not have all the other. It might not be a beautiful place. It might not have great, amenities. It might, the not other, have it might have the other amenities, but make sure it's a Mokum Torah. Uh, Yisrael Lipschitz, of course, who was a very forward-thinking uh, commentator, the, the famous Pharisee Yisrael, says in uh, a wonderful essay-like. Uh, commentary that the human being needs to leave the confines of his home. Otherwise, he's always going to be his parents' child. He's never going to find the he's real self man. of who he is. Right. Is my man. Right. 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 And this was, this was really in the 19th century a, a, a sort of a novel interpretation. It's been uh, picked up by many others who thought it was really correct, and I think it was correct as well. And, 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 and therefore, you know, send your kids away. Like, again, I am, I am of a mixed uh, feeling about this. I don't know if you and I are similar in some ways, but you didn't get sent away when you were just barely 13 uh, and sent off to a military-like yeshiva where you were treated like you were a number and not a person. But that was that was exactly what the Tefari Sistro would would say a person needed. Having get out of the, get, get cut the apron strings and earn your stripes as yourself. 
become your own person. Um, and, and, and this is, I think, what you're arguing for is really in line with that, that a person needs to do that. Um, let, let me bring in a secular side. I believe that Philip, correct me if I'm wrong here historically, I think that Philip of Macedonia <laughs> hired, hired Aristotle. Yeah, okay, it's a, it's a fiction. Okay, you're, it, it's, it's one of these things. It's one of these great legends. Okay. Okay, but you it's know, a great I legend. Can't... It's a great the legend. Punch Go line, ahead. Punchline is that Aristotle's advice was that whatever Alexander wants, you give him just the opposite. Make sure to frustrate him. Okay? Now, I am not a masochist. I am not um, so much um, uh, crazy to say that you have to totally frustrate a kid. But what I'm saying is that their idea was that frustration builds character to some extent. What I'm saying is that in order to build character, you will manufacture frustration as a developing individual, just to differentiate yourself. Okay, that's all. I'm not taking more from 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 Aristotle. Okay, but that's and, and, you know, and, and, I'm I would look. I might agree with you on this, but I would say that maybe that even if you're right that the enmity is inherent and is going to happen, sometimes um, the enmity, if you alter it into frustration, where it isn't just I'm seething, but I'm actually. Because even frustration has an articulation of what you're frustrated with, right? Yeah, sure. It has a method. No question. As as opposed to, uh, you know, what you're saying is that somehow, you know, it's within the human organism who is a child to have this period of enmity. Frustration at least gives you some sort of verbs and words about what you're frustrated about, which allows you perhaps to work it out. Uh, As opposed to... um, now, you, you agree with me that that's a... a yeah, I have no contention with you trying to water down the concept using words. That's fine. It doesn't have to be bold. You don't have to want to kill your father as an Oedipus. No, there has to be a certain amount of um, um, anger. And again, you don't want to call it anger, call it frustration. Call it very slight annoyance. I don't care how you mitigate it. But the point is, it comes through the... Expan- it can't, you can't have a lovey-dovey full relationship without any rough sides to it, rough emotional sides without expecting to develop. And I want to get into what you called corporal punishment or critiques. Now it's the idea, should I therefore not criticize my child in order not to evoke his or her ire? Should I not punish him? Shall I let him get away with murder? And literally what that implies, get away with murder. I think that kind of scope is very important in terms of parenting. And it's something that I, I have real hassles with you. I have to give you an example, okay? We all go through a, a period of toilet training. And I remember when we were in internship, my roommate had a patient who herself had a very harsh time with discipline as a child. And what she decided is that she's not going to expose her son to the harsh realities of toilet training. She put newspapers all over her house from when the child was one till when the child was four. And the idea was, do what you want to. I'm not going to push you around. And that child became a patient of my roommates. <laughs> Even though he, there was no frustration there, but there was a problem. In other words, some of that frustration is needed in order to build up a way of dealing with the world, which sort of imposes on you, which introduces you to morality. It, it's dealing with the world, which frustrates you so you know how to deal with frustration. That child never learned how to deal with frustration. Wow. It was, was a perpetual patient of my roommates. So again, it's using your own terminology 
to you. So the anal stage isn't just some sort of recognition of bodily functions. Right. What, the, the, what you apply to the anal stage is a certain amount of self-discipline. So it isn't just you're, 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 you are sort of like absorbed and fascinated by the fact of, and, and, of what comes out of you and what you're able to right. control, but it actually leads to an internal ability to control yourself. Just in terms of nomenclature, um, Freud never called it anal as such. Freud's term for all of development was psychosexual, which means there's a psychological development that's happening in conjunction to your bodily development. So what Freud used to call the stage was anal retentive, anal expulsive, anal oppositional. In other words, it, and it was not the bodily functions that are important. What was important there is what it does to the psychology of the developing individual that it teaches them how to deal with frustration, with rules, and ultimately morality. And these are functions which the child then internalizes and then becomes someone who can control him or herself rather than remain forever someone is pushed around. Uh, And he said if you you do it too too loosely or too harshly, you're going to have unabsorbed values. The child will never grow up to be a truly moral person, but just someone who heeds the police and heeds the powers against him. I, I want to get your comments on on, on what we were ta- what, something you touched on about uh, the attitude uh, towards uh, corporal punishment in terms of, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But just before we get there, the last thing that you said, uh, I, I think, is very instructive as to why um, there's almost a um, an incredible uh, breakdown for people who become incontinent, right, who aren't able to control their bowels properly, um, they, it isn't just the um, embarrassment and indignity of having to wear diapers. It's also, it's, it, it reaches to the heart of who they are as people. Um, and Sure. You know, I mean, it, you're getting into basically into gerontological psycholo- psychological problems right, here. Right, right, and right. sure, one of the basic problems we have with seniors who start developing a, a decrement and control over their functions is the feeling of being unable to deal with the environment, unable to deal with social needs, with social objugations, even though it's a leap. That's what happens. They feel no longer able to function within society. Well, we, 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 it could be, in other words, really in terms of it objectively, you could say if a person, if a person had to undergo a... Um, uh, a, a, a complete severing of, of the limb, a, uh, it, it could have less effect psychologically yes. than being incontinent. As a person who yes. had who, who had to lose it's, a leg. What you get with here is a loss of agency. Loss of agency is terrible. And yes. and, and and that is something which uh, you know I know um, uh, I don't know if you like this writer. He's a populist, and I think he understands what he's talking about. Sherwin Newland. Who was uh, uh, who wrote a book about how we die, and wrote about the experiences of his father, who was a very learned person. But when his father's uh, when his father was struggling with this uh, issue, uh, literally, uh, how it how it pushed the person really beyond what you would have sure. expected. But let me talk about sure. the um, 
uh, we, we touched about, and we'll maybe wind up with this. And uh, it's a, obviously a very big topic. Uh, we, you, you talked about the teachers that you had when you were growing up, and some of our previous conversations, as you call them, on our podcast. Um, and I, before we started recording, I told you about them. Uh, we and they subscribed to what we find in the Talmud. It's a very famous passage, the Gemara Makot, Davches Talmud Aleph, that speaks about the command, the mitzvah of hitting your children. And it, it talks about a, 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 a teacher hitting his students, but it also speaks about how a father who is hitting his child, and it, it, again, I'm not going to hide anything from our listeners, who inadvertently kills his child while he's hitting his child in order to, uh, to train them, uh, in order to get them. And in fact, uh, the Gemara actually even goes beyond that and says, even if the child was acting in accordance to everything the parent wanted and was actually a good student and, and doing everything right, but if a child uh, a child needs to be hit, and again, based on verses uh, in, in Proverbs and Mishlei uh, about uh, the efficacy of, of what kidding does, of what beating does, uh, and this was the simple understanding of Chazal, that kids are meant to be hit. And if you don't hit them, um, you're going to have problems in the future. Um, and this was an attitude that was prevalent, I would say, probably until uh, the early part of the 19th century or the last part of the 18th century. This was the attitude. I don't know if this was true in the in the secular world. I think it probably was, or the, the, the Christian world, the Muslim world. That's the way it was. Parents hit their children. And and it was uh, everybody knew that. Um, okay, l- l- let me go let me ahead. Just that. Okay, so let's put it this way: from my perspective, any kind of abuse is unacceptable towards other people, and that includes hitting, it includes mental abuse, it includes verbal abuse. All of it is no good. Society has taken a while to become wise to this, and one of the first kinds of abuse that went was physical abuse. So that started becoming um, unacceptable and even illegal in many cases early on before they started realizing that the other kinds of abuse are just as bad. Now, that being said, I just wanted to say hitting as such, I mean, killing scares me, right? But hitting versus yelling versus humiliating, I would say that as a kid, I and I was exposed to all of that from a society which I'd rather not reference, but I would say that I much rather preferred being hit than being humiliated. And I much for, much more would have preferred being humiliated than being totally devalued and say that you're worth nothing or some worse pejoratives. So all of it is not acceptable. But what I'm saying from my original thesis, which I introduced here, is that no matter how nice you act towards your kid, he's not going to have a clean slate with you. He'll always have some resentment. So the question is, know that the resentment is going to be there. Take that in consideration, then say, okay, I have a situation here where the child is doing X or Y or Z, where he will ultimately end up hurting himself. I mean, forget the society that you believe in or the religion that you believe in. If this is detrimental to the child, I want to do something to discipline him. And I know that by doing this, I will incur his wrath. And I will recur his resentment. And he will not erase that. But I can tell you, me being a professional, and you 
out there being some parents, that it's worth it. It is worth, and in fact, it's your duty, and in fact, you should consider it your pleasure to incur some of the wrath of your child just for the service or for the purpose of making sure that him or her will end up being disciplined and be able to lead a happier, more productive, and more pro-social life. That's my formula. But trying to avoid it is just akin to my roommate's patient of spreading newspapers all over the floor. It will not do you any good, and the kid will not like you anyway. Uh, I just want to – I agree with you, obviously. And, you know, it comes from hard experience that – and from seeing many of my students and, and, and interacting with their parents and from my own personal knowledge. But I just want to put on the record here for people who might be listening all the way through that there was a shift that occurred – um, in the beginning of the 19th century, where these phrases uh, that were in the Talmud, that were even in the Torah itself, from in Mishlom in, in were reinterpreted and for in, in a more positive way. Um, and uh, it, it has, although there are still areas where it occurs, they were reinterpreted uh, to mean no, that was maybe true then. It shouldn't be done now. Um, you are actually bringing your child to hate you. It's going to not work. So there, the warnings were there, and it would be wrong to say that there was this monolithic idea uh, based from these Talmudic sources. There was a, uh, a, and it's in the one of the most famous books of Jewish law, the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch from Shlomo Gansfried. He actually says clearly that this is not true today. That, and that was about 145 or 100, uh, almost 200 years ago already, 180 years ago. So that, that did change. I don't know how much it, it helped in Williamsburg or even where I was in Memphis, Tennessee, where I saw a lot of uh, physical abuse from teachers. But I think it probably did eventually change. Um, and I think it probably did eventually change a lot of the way uh, parents acted. Uh, you might have been hit by your parent, but I would say that parents hit children less uh, and, and maybe it's become almost eliminated. Uh, I don't know, but I think it's become less than it has been. It does not warm the cockles in my heart, frankly, because I see just as much abuse. I think they've shifted to other forms of abuse and other forms of humiliation and other forms of terrorizing children to Try to get them to work their way. So again, I, I, I think, but, but I think I think they weren't listening. I think they weren't listening, Sam, to what the Peleyoyets and the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch were saying. They were saying this isn't going to work. And if you, you if you take it to heart, you realize that the humiliation's sure. not going to work either. Humiliation's not going right. to work. And, and I think they say that explicitly. Don't yell at them either. Right. The, the Peleyoyets says specifically that. In fact, try to be calm, try to control, realize what's going on. Um, and, and, and I think those voices were there. I think human beings, as you say, were having a it – was, it was hard to see your flesh and blood that you, you put so much in, that you invested so much into, and then seemingly turning around and hating you and, 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 and not appreciating what you've done. It, it was very hard. I will also just tell you that the Chayba Salvados and others – Chayim and Pekuda and others said even a th- almost a thousand years ago that whenever you discipline, never let it become truly emotionally angry. Ne- always give the appearance of, of a stern face, but chas v'shalom, it should ever become something that you are in real anger. Uh, 
uh, act as if... Well, that, let's just remember the cliché, which has become the laughingstock of all us kids. I have to tell you, son, this is hurting me more than you. And then you hit him. And I say, yeah, sure. Right, right, Why don't you hit yourself and then it hurts me more than it hurts you. Okay. But, but again, I, I think... So it would be wrong to say it's Sam, Juni, and Freud that finally brought light... I think those those voices were there. You need to read them and discern them. And I think that they there was a tremendous amount of wisdom uh, in, in terms of, of of how to do it. But as you can know, it's very frustrating on all sides. Um, let me ask you just this last thing. Um, I started today's conversation with a uh, what's occurred in terms of. Um, not allowing children to develop and children not wanting to develop and uh, staying in the cocoon uh, and coming back. Isn't there an age where uh, it's it's going to dissipate the, the sort of enmity and, and things like that? Yes. So there is an age where people learn how to paper it over so well that it cannot be perceived, except by professionals like me, when people start falling apart. Yes, there is an age where we learn how to um, sublimate, how to pretend that I'm not angry at you, I'm really angry at my daughter-in-law, etc. But that, that's 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 basically subterfuge. Yes, there is an age when people can functionally coexist with each other, and people literally profess love for each other, and you're really upset, especially when your parent starts to go downhill, then you tend to just suppress all those negative feelings and you're lovey-dovey and caring and really do a lot, you know, for them on a practical level. But is there a time when you actually get rid of the inner resentment? No, because if not, you will become who they were. Sometimes you do. It's actually interesting the way some people who start off so much on a rebellious kick end up being just like the person they rebelled against. They become, so to speak, um, 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 Hosea, but I don't know by what, but you the family, and they become the very person who they rebelled against. But essentially, I mean, again, this is not my message. This is not Freud's message. This is a something that I get from experience with the emotional travails of people who go through life. You never really get rid of negative feelings. They're always there. The question is, how do you cope with them as an adult or do you maintain the two and a half or three and a half year old status of just yelling and screaming and flubbing at the mouth? But no, you don't get rid of negative emotions. Can you channel them? Yes, especially with some help sometimes in psychotherapy. You can end up using it productively. You can turn it in a way that society uh, gets dividends, that your children get dividends of it. But basically your emotional makeup gets etched in you and there ain't no going back. And that's me, fatalism, and of course my Freudian tradition talking, which I am singularly non-apologetic for. I think that's clear for anybody who's been listening. Just in terms of what I started talking about in the beginning about uh, the COVID bubbles that's actually causing a lot of these units to compress, there are people now who don't see anybody except their family, right? There are people who actually are only connected and, and, and the children are hunkered down with them. I, I think Dr. Sam Juni would say, make sure that you're carving out space, even though, the sure. phys- even though the physical space is unfortunately compressed, make sure that you don't necessarily uh, have to be the mother hen or the father hen or everyone should have their own areas uh, where they can exist independently and maybe get together 
for an hour or a half hour a week. And- I may extend that to any marital relationship as well. Leave your spouse space. Don't become over-enmeshed and over-identified because you're not the same people and there has to be some differences and some resentments going on which can percolate nicely underneath, but don't force it into a situation where it has to pop out. Okay. Well, let's hope we can keep everything uh, uh, in, 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 on somewhat of an even keel, recognizing what's really uh, percolating underneath. So that's it. A little bit of an extended version, uh, Dr. J. And I hope that, uh, uh, you know, it seems like you are managing all right. And uh, we'll catch you. Hopefully. Don't jump to any conclusions. <laughs> Well, I, it, it, you don't have your kids there with you, right? You know, they're not there with you. In the yeah, that's one reason why I'm managing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, take care. We'll catch you next week. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 